0: continue in the series how we're going through uh, caring for one another. This is the bit of the Bible we're going to be looking at today. So Psalm 116. speak to you this morning in the psalm. I love the Lord for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my ears from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. servant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Psalm 116.
1: Psalm 116.
0: Remember what we do this for. We do this because we need to tune our heart
1: in a little bit. You Take me down just a little bit, please. We need to tune our heart in and we need to ask for God's grace to see what quite often we're too self preoccupied to see or perhaps situations that seem to have obscured for us. There is amazing grace. Does anybody need that today? I know I do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cry out to you and we ask that you would incline your ear towards us, that we may know the great and good things that we're missing, that we may know and see something of who you are, Lord, for to see you and to know you is to love you. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to order our lives and our responses to our lives in keeping with the great grace that you show to us. will come near, draw near, come by your spirit and draw our hearts to the truth that you would show us. Move our hearts to worship and obedience. <coughs> we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be gracious and that you would make us a community of people who care well for one another's souls. Lord, we want to be that kind of people because that would show your greatness to a watching world. You deserve no less than that we care for one another. So please, Lord, be gracious to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're moving on caring for one another, and if you want to know how to care for somebody, you've got to have a working grasp of what comes at people. And what comes at people is trouble. Do you know what I'm talking about today? Troubles or trials. Those moments that seem to suffocate out spiritual life. Those moments that sort of cause us to collapse inwards in ourselves. Those moments where we think, oh dear, and all we do is sort of go into a mental uh, panic mode or else what we do is we just respond out of our instinct without connecting to the realities of God's grace and his truth. So we want to be a community who care one well for one another but we need to be able to grasp the realities of those influences, troubles and struggles that come into one another's lives. So Let me start by telling you about a couple, Jay and Sally. Now Jay and Sally were desperate. They'd been married for six years and it felt to them on a daily basis like their marriage was going through a slow and painful death. Can you imagine how suffocating that is? Any of you you have ever had problems in married life or relational turmoil, you'll know that it casts a shadow over almost everything. So Jay would pull away because it hurt too much and he would stay late and go for a drink or maybe chill out in the coffee shop after work rather than going home. He'd chat about his woes and how he was disappointed inappropriately to colleagues at work or people he met at a cafe or when he had gone for a drink. He moaned about how he was not appreciated. And in some sense, he was staying away to avoid the pain. But in another way, he was staying away a little bit because he was like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show her what happens when she doesn't appreciate me. And that was the cycle that he got himself in for. He'd got this vengeful tactic to try and get appreciation and attention. But he wasn't the only one who was troubling that whole situation, bringing on this slow death of a marriage. Sally. She was so confused and she'd spend most of her days at home. And so often, she would see the posture of Jay when he came home late, how he barely seemed to notice Sally and just sat in front of the telly. And she didn't do nothing with that. She just started to stoke the feelings of her own self-pity. Oh, he doesn't help with the kids. He's barely ever home. He's withdrawing. And so she would do two things. She would withdraw emotionally, and any time he said or did anything, she would respond with unkind and harsh responses. I mean, if he loved her, wouldn't he help her more? So she grew more and more resentful, and coldness set in more and more, and both of them were putting incredibly serious demands one upon another. They wanted to change the other. And did you notice, as you listen to that story, it's all very horizontal. It's what's going on here in between people. There was this relational death that was happening, and it was creating great pain. But guess who wasn't in the picture? And I'm not talking about people who don't attend church. They would have been sitting next to you in the pews. This mutual chronic pain had suffocated their awareness of the living God and his love. Can I say that again? That chronic pain... Had suffocated their awareness of the amazing presence, grace and mercy of God in their life every day. Where was he? What was his purpose? Why was he doing this to them were the questions that they were asking themselves. Where were they letting them in? See, when you've got no sight of the Lord, it can feel as if he's got nothing for you, he's doing nothing. It's not that we do nothing. We sink into pain and sorrow. We sink into frustration and loneliness and resentment and we, we tinker around with entitlement. That's just what we do. Our struggles so often collapse in on themselves and our struggles so often cast a shadow over our light, our life so that the life the light of Jesus seems a long way away. Has anybody ever been there? Of course you have. But that's Jay and Sally, let me tell you about Jessie. She's known troubles in her life. She's faced real problems, and she's trying to get through it. She's just trying to cope. Jessie's riddled with trauma, her father abandoned her and her mum when she was only eight years old. And she's old enough now that she can still just about remember what it was like to have him around. He was addicted, addicted and abusive. And he makes sense of watching your dad knock your mother around. She's still got those haunting memories around for her. Her world is a world of internal contradictions. On one hand, she hated her dad and was so glad to see the back of him. Peter, this is more interesting than that. She hated her dad and was so glad to see the back of him. (sighs) But on the other hand, her life is riddled with the emotional emptiness that comes and worthlessness from never having a father's love. She's now 22, and she leaves a massive emotional gaps in her life, emotionally and relationally. Since she was 15, she's battled with depression. And to fill the gaps and to escape the emotional torture, she comes up with strategies. She won't go near the beach anymore because if... She was to wear a bikini, you'd see a whole series of marks on the outside of her thighs caused by cigarette burns. What's she doing in that moment? Those cigarette burns seem to provide a sense of control over her pain. Although oh, the, the pain isn't gone, but it's, it, it's under control a little bit. And it's a distraction from all that pain. She's pushed a, a sense of worth into trying to connect up with guys in the hope that she'll get some sort of intimacy through offering herself out sexually. She gets, for a moment, a sense of connection that she feels is absent from her life. But then it's quickly overrun by growing senses of of guilt and shame that seem to build up. and, And nothing she can do, no matter how well she tries to perform in other parts of her life, it won't cover over those things. She wrestles with thoughts, even of thinking, it's not supposed to be this way, maybe I should end this. And she's distant from God, even though she attends church. Does that sound like a trouble to you? sounds like a very familiar story to me. The situation has overshadowed any sense of who the Lord may be. He doesn't seem like enough. What is he up to? The hurt and the pain is suffocating out, squeezing out any sense that there is a living God there. So for Jessie, her life has been profoundly difficult. There's troubles everywhere. It has overpowered her. Is there any hope for psychological, emotional, relational, spiritual hope? She's just trapped in this destructive cycle that she doesn't feel she invited upon herself. It's just what she experiences day by day. And her coping strategies seem to run the show. They seem instinctive. They seem to offer her a little bit of help. The compulsion to self-harm is the pain. She's begun to drink. A counterfeit intimacy, of casual sexual encounters. Is it healing her? It's probably hurting her more. And all the way through this, we begin to ask ourselves a question, because she's your friend, and you say, how do I care for her? When there are these massive influences, these real troubles that seem to run the show, pressing in. Let me ask you, as I tell you those two stories, how do you feel? Do you want to help? Do you want to care for somebody who's there? Is it a little bit too close for comfort because it feels so connected to your situation? You hear the, the slow death of a marriage and this slow crumbling of a of a beautiful young girl's life that seems to be just headed up on a slide and entangled pull downwards. And all the time, the wonderful grace of the living God doesn't seem to be very real to any of them in those moments. Perhaps your story isn't quite as dramatic as either either of those. So often we go through loads of little troubles through the week and we don't even think about it, we just go on autopilot leaning into our own little coping strategies. Maybe you've just noticed that you're more irritable than you were a few weeks ago. Maybe you've noticed that you're a little bit more concerned and worried because, well, you started quite clearing the credit cards. Maybe there's things that you want to do with this year and those possibilities that you can imagine and you can feel them slipping away a little bit. Maybe there's somebody who well, until recently, it was reasonably easy to relate to them, but things have just got a bit more difficult than that. Maybe it's a health concern that is pressing in. Maybe it's just a grind, grind, grind of having to bring up preschool kids. they to wear you down. And right at this point, the, teen- the parents of teenagers going, at home, <laughs> We have troubles that come at us, and in those moments, situations can squeeze out or suffocate away Anything that we know of the Lord that brings us sense and brings us clarity in those moments, pressure can cause us to collapse back in and forget about the wonder and the love of God. What does it mean to care for one another? It means that we want to reverse that trend, come alongside, meet people. Because God always meets people where they're at. And in case you doubted this, you want to know, Steve, how can we be so sure? Well, we've got a psalm about. Look am looking forward you at Psalm 116. And the first two verses, I love these, and some of you have heard me talk about these before, because in these first two verses of the, the psalm, you get the end of the story at the beginning, so you know where we're headed. And what does the, the first two verses indicate to us? That here is a guy who is desperate. Here is a guy who is needy. Here is a guy who's got to the point where he's swallowed his own pride, and he's had to cry out to the living God. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. You know what mercy is? Lord, I've got nothing. This thing's running over me. I'm getting flattened here. And I need something that I can't demand, but I, I, I need a gift. I need something that's going to come to me for free. Because I know I don't deserve it, I can't earn it. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. That's really interesting, the Bible tells us that the Lord is, uh, the the living God is is spirit, it's not a body, but there's like one of these anthropomorphic things going on where to help us get a feel of how the Lord is, he uses a physical picture of the mighty, it must be a very big ear, the mighty living God, I mean, imagine if the living God physically had an ear and he lent it in, planets would get knocked out of orbit. That mighty, huge ear is inclined in. I always think of an image that sticks in my mind of my grandfather, he died when I was pretty young. I think I can't have been more than about nine when he died. And I was a real little tear away. And he was very hard at hearing. I remember that quite often there'd be something going on in the family and lift this old clunky, big old fashioned hearing aid off his ear, twiddle with this little roller on the side, put it back in and then carry on as if nothing could happen. I thought that's just plain weird. But no matter how much I was naughty, no matter how much I kicked off, no matter how much I ran round his lounge when he was telling me not to, when I came to him and I had a need, you know what he would do? He'd lean in and incline his climb. ear. More often than not, the one that had the hearing aid, because he could hear better than he could with the one that could. Why did he do that? Because he was bothered about what was going on with me. And the psalmist says, Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And as you guys are listening to that, you're thinking, well, what's the story behind this? And thankfully, we don't have to wait very, very long to find out what it is. He suddenly blurts out what was going on, what was dragging him down, the troubles and trials he was facing, the sort of things that he would tell his mates over coffee, the sort of things that he would wish people better understood about what it was like to be him. And here they are, it's summarised by one big phrase in verse 3. The cords of death entangled me. It doesn't just say death entangled me. But it's like a tractor beam that's drawing down. Imagine yourself with cords pulling you down into the dark place. Isn't that what your nightmares are about? Every single one of you in this room has been woken in the night by one of these nightmare images where there is something that is coming to grab you and pull you in and you fight, and you push, and you run. So it's ensnared you and entangled you, and it is leading you to your doom. That's what the image here is. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. It. it wasn't sort of like, and I. When you get a moment, you can respond. <laughs> Any chance you could uh, just take a little look at this one. This was an outward cry of desperation in the midst of my situation. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted and when I was in great need, he saved me. And he's letting that mull around his heart for a second and then he he goes into the same cycle uh, again. Verse eight. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And there's a great wonder about this, because we don't quite know what this death-like entanglement was in the life of the psalmist. But I think we're supposed to see it as a motif. In fact, there's hints that it could have been caused by grief and trouble with other people. Verse 10, I believe, therefore, I said, I'm greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. So there's some sort of relational beef going on there that is bringing this experience upon him. So I wrote down a few possibilities of what it could have been. When he feels entangled by death, it could be a horrible health condition. Can I tell you that your biggest circumstance and your situation is the body in which your soul dwells? That thing that is you, you say that is my arm, but it also is you. It is your body and it is your circumstance and situations. And do your bodies always go to plan? No, they don't. If I asked how many people didn't get as much sleep as they thought they needed last night, I'm guessing more than half the hands in this room would go up. But quite often it's more serious than that. We do have the daily aches, pains, loss of sleep, mood shifts that come with having weakened bodies. But then every now and again we have something that come along, comes along that we didn't ask for. An illness. An ailment that may be short term, hopefully for Nathan. Mark's not here today because he's got the flu. Or it could be something that is more life-dominating.
0: So there's
1: a 54-year-old father of four who had a long history of just walking with Jesus. And the way in which he walked with Jesus day by day is that every day he would get up and he would read a psalm from the Bible that talked about how the Lord was good, gracious, and mighty in all things. And he would extend in prayer and hope his faith to the Lord. But during a routine hospital appointment, a doctor noted a highly irregular lesion uh, lesion on, on his shoulder. And you can guess where this is going. They biopsied it, they checked it, and 10 days later, he went back for the appointment to find out what this lesion would actually mean. The doctor didn't even pause, he just got straight to the point. He said, we've got really bad news for you. It is cancerous. What does that mean, says the guy? What is the treatment, what's the prognosis? And the doctor, with a very honest and sincere face, simply said, no, no, it's a malignant tumor. What does that mean, says the, and the guy? And the doctor says, well, typically, under these circumstances, we can consider some options in experimental therapy, but realistically, we suspect you've got nine to 12 months to live. Now those kind of moments come upon people, but this guy never thought it would happen to him. He never did. He thanked the doctor for being helpful and clear and forthright and they arranged a follow-up appointment to talk about those experimental treatments. And he and his wife left the office. When they got in the car, they cried. But what were the first words of this guy? In the face of the worst possible circumstances for both himself and his family, this is what he said, three words. Nothing has changed. What does he mean, nothing has changed? You see, his heart and its clear-eyed knowledge of Jesus was going to hijack the internal conversation He was not going to allow the trial and the trauma to collapse his world into a two-dimensional hopeless abyss. He wasn't going to allow the cords of death to entangle him and drag him down. This is what he said. If you think that the news of my death will change my confidence in God's love towards me, it won't. His son gave his life for me. Why would I think he would love me less now? He loved me yesterday when everything seemed to be going well. Nothing has changed. He loves me today too.
0: Isn't that interesting? The situation hadn't changed at all. He got,
1: he got cancer. But his response to the trouble was going to be shaped by what he knew was true about his living God. More than what his fear would dictate. Now I've taken that example of a difficult health diagnosis. But you guys all know well I could pick an equally good example of God's grace helping somebody to respond to a, health, a serious health diagnosis in this room. And you know what I'm talking about. You see, the way that we face the cords of death entangling us and dragging us down ultimately will be defined, not by the power of the situation to overpower us, but our willingness to lay hold of the God who is the God over all our situations, who knows the end from the beginning and is a present help in times of trouble. Maybe that was the death that was coming that this guy in the psalm was talking about. But it could have been another one. It could have been attempted murder. Because we know that many of the prominent writers this psalm is not ascribed to anybody, but it's got a feel of King David about it, but it could have been one of the other ones, is that so often there was conflict, toil, and aggro going on. And the fact that he's saying all men are liars is that it could well have been some sort of political intrigue where the best way to deal with Your enemy was to bump him off. And there was somebody out to get him. We do not know. But I can tell you that many of you felt that shadow of death hanging on you and the cords pulling you down and you've been at loggerheads. Maybe it's a boss who's got it in for you. Maybe it's an authority who you feel is overstepping their authority and trying to crush you. And in that moment, it can feel like a downward drag. What about if it's simply the pain of of death of something that you thought would always be there, like your health, and it is ruined by a horrible sudden accident. Anybody been there? Many of you have. Your plans get smashed to pieces. Maybe it's even more painful still because it's the pain of the grief of losing somebody. Oh, you haven't physically died, but a part of you has. When they did, part of you disappears. Did you see a Poppy a minute ago just at the mention of Marge, and she burst into tears and has to go for a hug for a You know, some people in this room went to a funeral of a loved one this week, and when you go through that, back and we are under the shadow of death, it hurts. We don't pretend it doesn't, we put words on it and maybe that's what this guy here was doing. The grief of mourning of the loss of a loved <coughs> In the story of a, I was listening to earlier this week, of a set of parents who talked about the pain and anguish of losing a child. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Didn't <clears throat> ever think it happened to you. Maybe that's what the psalmist is speaking about. Maybe it's a relational coming apart. Remember, relationships are supposed to be the best elements of life, but when they go wrong, they go wrong badly. We think of Jay and Sally, and we listen to the ways in which, when they said, I do, standing at the aisle, they never thought that this was going to be the way it would turn out. They didn't expect that slow death coming at them. And it doesn't feel like they invited it into their life. They're just like, they sit there day after day going, How did this happen? And of course, they can't see a way out at all. Maybe it was a betrayal or an attack. Maybe it was lies. It just feels like that slow death. Can I tell you, that's that's what it feels like for many people going to school in the morning. They know that school is a hostile environment. They know that they've got to be on high alert. They've got to put shields up. They know they've got to protect themselves. They know, some of them, that they've got to attack before they're attacked. Otherwise, they'll look weak and they'll be more of a target. Sometimes they look at themselves when they've got home from school and thought, I, I've behaved as badly as the thing that I hate. Others, just the idea of getting up in the morning, going into school and go through the same rigmarole, the gauntlet of disapproving eyes judging you and telling you you're not worth anything feels like a horrible death. And then you can understand what it says in verse 11. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars." That can be the same in a workplace or a college situation. Sometimes it can feel like that going to your own family gatherings. But maybe this entangling language, the court of death, talk about a trapping sense of something that you have given yourself over to that you could, thought you could master, but it has mastered you, ensnared you, and is dragging you downwards. Right, we can talk about addiction, couldn't we? Has that not got the flavor and the feel of the... Entangling cords of death Maybe it's crushing rejection Maybe it's a little bit of all of that Isn't it important that we talk about these things If we're ever going to be be a church family That can care for one another How do you respond when you hear of the troubles of others I know the temptation is to run And I know that in many churches And we're not very good at this And I'm really glad we're not very good at this But in many churches there'll be a lot of let's pretend Let's come out, how are you doing this? Fine, how are you? liars. This is the stuff of our life. And guess whose word addresses it? The Lord speaks to him. The Lord says, I know what it looks like. And in a minute, we're going to remind ourselves of how much the Lord knows what it looks like to live under the shadow of death. But if we're going to care for one another. What we're going to have to know is that people face really difficult things, but those really difficult things aren't the end of the story. Those really difficult things, so often when they come, we will trouble our troubles by going blind and close up the shutters to the reality of the living God. And that's what I love about Psalm 116. is in anguish, he is in sorrow, he is struggling, but he's saying, I know that's not the end of the story because there is a Lord of grace. And this is a psalm, which means it isn't just his story, it has been given to us for what reason? So that we will sing it to one another. This is our expectation of doing life together. He wants the end of the story to be that each one of us have got alongside the other one of us so that we're all singing along together, I love the Lord. He heard my cry for mercy. He inclined his ear towards me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. That's what we're going to be as a community, people. So I don't know all the things that are coming at you right now, but love will mean that as much as I can, with the capacities of been limited, I'll be aware of some of the big ones and I'll be praying for you, but I'll also be talking to you. I'll be catching moments and saying, So, how is it going? Tell me about what you're facing. And when I hear something that sounds quite complicated, I won't just trot out a nice little, well, all things work for the good of those who love God. That's not knowing you and caring for you well. I'm not going to throw blind Bible verses at you to make myself feel better. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what that trouble and that struggle is like for you. Just like if I had Jay or Sally, what would you do with Jay or Sally? We've put them here. And they're standing here. Are you just going to start telling them, wagging the finger and saying all the things they're doing wrong? What are you doing going off and drinking and leaving your wife? You're a poor excuse. Why are you being such a nag? You know there's a proverb in the Bible that says better to live on a roof than to share a house with a, 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 a nagging wife. I'm not going to go there, am I? Is that, is, is that the... is that I should see Tom and Emma looking
0: at each other. The new as well. I'm not going to go there.
1: <coughs> Where am I going to go? I'll tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to listen. I'm going to let Jay tell me a little bit about his disappointments both with himself, but also about the disappointment that he just doesn't feel valued. I'm going to say, you don't need to live out of that. It can feel like a downward drag and a cord of death, but don't live out of that, because you've gone blind to the mercy of God and you cried out to him for mercy. Have you asked Him to do a work in your heart that you might be singing His praises? Have you asked Him to strength, to, to warm your hardening heart and make it soft the need to the needs of misses? Do you think the living God might want you to love Him and to love your neighbour, your neighbour, your wife right now, buddy? How might the Lord need you to help you do that? How can I stand alongside you and pray with you for you today? that end? Or I might <laughs> come alongside Sally and I say, Sally. You've got a whole sack of disappointments, and you feel rejected right now. What do you do with that? Is there somewhere better we can go? Is there somebody better we can go? I'm not saying it doesn't need to change, but is there a somebody you can go to who knows what it means to be rejected, who knows what it means to have to face things on his own, who has a heart of compassion for you? What, what difference are you allowed to make in your heart? And as that makes a difference in your heart, how will that change your posture towards that one who quite often feel like you need to punish for a rate to put in their place? You see what we're doing? We're saying, listen, I know your biggest problem and it isn't the circumstance situation. It's so often the way the circumstance and situation squeezes us. Overshadows, suffocates out the grace of God, who is our north star by whom we navigate all things, who gives us grace that is sufficient to stand in the midst of absolutely anything. Do you know what the Lord wants for Jane and Sally? Or for Jesse? We haven't got time to talk about Jesse. Do you know what the Lord wants? I don't know quite how he's going to get there because he does this slightly different in everybody's life. Shall I tell you what he wants for Jesse? I love the Lord, but he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he's turned because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. So I don't know what the details will play out in those two example lives, or even in yours, but I know the direction of travel. The Lord will glue us together into a community who are helping one another to sing that quest, uh, sing that song. Some of you are sitting there with your fingers crossed, going, well, I really hope those kind of trials and troubles don't come my life. Tough. We're not in the glory lands yet. We're in the shadow lands. If you feel like you're sailing over them at the moment, I'm really happy for you, but don't be presumptuous. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But we can know the one who holds the future. And so as I wrap up, I want to remind us of something that it'd be very, very easy for us to forget. And the thing that we need to realize is where our hope will be based. What is the character of our God? There are two things about the Lord we need to know. There are two things about the Lord that this psalmist uh, assumed on, and he he unpacks just a little bit. The first one would be this. It's, It's his person, who he is and what he's like. And we've got a little bit of an indication of that in that psalm. He's the one who, though he threw the stars into space, though he's got very, very big ears, He makes them available to the smallest and insignificant and most worthless of people. Can you trust somebody like that? That's his person. You can trust him. But then there are his mighty deeds. The things that he does to secure his people for eternity. If you miss those, then you won't know why to trust him. And if we want to know what the Lord is like with that, we have to go one place and one place only. We have to go to a hill just outside of the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. That is the source of the light that can be found when we feel things pressing in against us. It is the light of the presence of the Saviour Christ. Remember, I've probably told you this before, here is the Lord who, on his own choice, he accepted the world's worst job description. Anybody here want to plunge into death? Anybody say, you know, oh, we need somebody to do it. Cosmic death. Any takers? None of us would have accepted it. None of us would have been up for it. But he was told from the beginning what it would require. He would have to experience all the things that you fear most and spend every one of your waking moments trying to avoid. Are you with me? Jesus volunteered to be entangled by the gods of death. Can you trust somebody who would do that for you? Can you offer somebody like that out to somebody who's struggling? You've got a friend in sorrow who's mourning and grieving. Can you offer that one out? Of course you can. Jesus wasn't naive. He knew what this would cost him. He knew what it would mean. He knew that it wasn't going to be pretty. He knew that he would be despised by the ones that he came to love. He knew that he would be betrayed by those who were closest to him. He knew what would physically be done to his body, the physical death. He knew that he would be rejected by the very ones that he made. He accepted that he had come to die. Death was his job description. How do you like that? And he came and he embraced it. So that every moment that you and I are feeling the cords of death entangling us, Every moment that we fear the future. Every time when a glass falls off a table. Every time we think that the circumstance is going to define everything, he says, look at my cross and look at my resurrection. They are the standing promise to you that I am bigger than anything that will come at you. And we will be a community of people who hold fast to that and care for one another in that. Am I right? So we will care enough to know what is going on in people's lives. And we will realise and understand how in that moment it can suffocate you so you can't always taste the grace of God. And we will be there ready to say, tell me what it's like for you. And let's figure out together how we can pray for one another and draw down on the amazing grace of the one who gave himself over to death that we might live. And never, never doubt this. He will hold us fast. I'm gonna lead a prayer about that while Amy runs like a whippet out of that room to go and get our singers. Because in a minute we're gonna sing. But with the rest of you, join me as I pray. Lord we need to be captured by this Lord we need this we need to live out this kind of psalm you've given it to us because you know what life's really like you know the harsh end the tough rub you know the pain you know the sorrow you know the anguish you know what your people go through and you have declared that you will meet us there and bring us grace. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a community of people who grow in caring for one another. Forgive us everything inside of us that assumes that you have little to offer and that the circumstance is more powerful. Forgive us every time when we have willfully believed the lie that you don't care. Forgive us every moment when we have been too too quick to give advice rather than share grace. Make us a community who care for one another by understanding well the pressures that one another face and being prepared to come before you with that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.